This episode of Outback Stories is brought to you by Fernie Stock Feeds, feeding the country's livestock for over 101 years. Hello and welcome to Outback Stories, a podcast about extraordinary people living in the bush. You're joined as always by regional journalists Lucy Samuels and Lucy Taylor. I don't remember being on fire, but I remember um, the, the fire was about a foot high, so 30, 30 centimetres high in the centre console of the, of, the, of the ute I was driving. I remember saying, if I don't put my hand in the fire, get the seatbelt off, I'm going to die. So it's that, that instant instinct where it's, um, it's going to hurt, but it's going to hurt no more than what, what's, going, what's going to happen to you. Welcome back to episode number seven of Outback Stories. This week we touched down in Mindoran on our way to a property called the Home of Wildfire where we got to chat with Jamie Manning or Dodge as he's known in the rodeo world. Dodge is a cowboy, a bull rider, a family man but most importantly he's a survivor. In 2014, Dodge was on his way back from work at the Dubbo Sale Yards when he was involved in a car accident that changed his life forever. We won't give too much away, but it's Jamie's story of survival, resilience and his recovery that makes this man truly inspiring. This is Jamie Manning. Let's start with the name Dodge. Where did you get the name Dodge from? Um, so when I was a child playing football, I started playing football at six. My grandfather named me Dodge, so I used to dodge all the opponents. Oh. But as it turned out, Dodge has been more than just football. It's quite yeah. apt, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> named appropriately, Dodge Life. Or Dodge Death. <laughs> Definitely. And um, where, where did you grow up? I grew up in Scone, Hunter Valley. Um, actually in town. My parents come off a farm. But as soon as they were old enough, they went straight to town and never went back. So I guess it was installed in me from previous that um, that's what I wanted to do. And as soon as I was able to leave town, I did. Never went back. Can you tell us, I guess, about um, your experience being on the land and your experience as a bull rider? Um, it certainly it can get lonely at times, I guess, on the land. But... Um, you know, you're doing, well, to me, it was what I wanted to do, being around horses, cattle, and dogs. Um, and it, it is very, it's very family orientated because it's just you and the family you live with. And then rodeo is much, much similar, bull riding. The rodeo community is a real family orientated. Everyone's got everyone's back. You can, you can go a thousand Ks in a car, and you'll guarantee if you get in trouble, you'll know someone that can help you out. Definitely. And you were a bull rider for 15 years, weren't you? Yeah, 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty impressive. But was that just in Australia or? No, I travelled to America three times. Um, didn't have a lot of luck over there, but had a good time trying to find that luck. Uh, went to New Caledonia and Vanuatu. Oh, wow. Did a few schools over there. Yeah. It was a good experience. Yeah. Tell us about what you were doing over there. In Vanuatu? Yeah. Um, so they have a like foundation week 
where the the French um, and and the natives got together, decided to get on. Um, so they got me to come over there for their their show. We've got some a fair few natives come out of the out of the hills, in those shoes and pair of shorts to bed all, Afro hair. Uh, showed them about bull riding and, and there's also a couple of Salabromp riders and a bareback rider there. We showed them that side of rodeo too. Um, yeah, and then at, at the at the show we did a demo on the bulls. Awesome. And for, like, for our audience, because I feel like some people might know what bull riding actually is, can you kind of just explain a weekend rodeo and what you did? Yeah, we'd, you'd walk, work all week, come Friday night, we, we used to drive 16 hours there sometimes, 18 hours, all the way to Rockhampton. Get there just as the bulls are running up. You get on your bull, um, ride your bull. And if you're lucky, you might have a few beers. Can you tell us what it's like, that eight seconds, well, hopefully eight seconds being on the bull? Yeah, it's 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 not something that you, you remember at the time. It, it's, it's happened so quick. So it's uh, your, your subconscious mind doing it. But... The adrenaline it gives you and the joy and the you know being victorious is um I oh, you can't explain it. Is that's, that is that why you got into it? That adrenaline like yeah, it's, it's pretty like it's, it. it's, it's very addictive. Yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't just that. I the radio also gave me that chance to, to see Australia. Yeah. Um, and meet a lot of people, which is what I did really take out of it. Yeah, bull riding I guess is such a high risk sport. Did you have any? Uh, close incidents or accidents um, where yeah, you fell off? Yeah, I was lucky enough. Um, I had a couple of bad ones. I broke my neck twice. So I actually read an article where you walked out of a Sydney hospital in a <laughs> gown with your hat and your cowboy boots. Why was that? <laughs> uh, I never was one to like hospitals, hospital visits, or stays. But I, I felt I was all right. I knew like, we had x-rays and they'd, they'd seen the, the fractures in my, in my neck. So I, I felt I was all right, but it was that busy at the time at the hospital. I was in the waiting room in, in the corridor on a bed, and that's where they're doing the x-rays and stuff on me. Um, but I've been there for 12 hours, still not had seen a doctor, it's in, in, a doctor, just the nurses. So I thought I might as well just go back to the showgrounds, watch the last round of bulls, and then go home and see a doctor. Yeah. So it was a plan. But as I uh, went back, to the showgrounds, went to sleep that night. The next morning, I got a phone call from Channel 7. They asked me, would you be interested in doing the, attempting the Guinness World Records, the longest time on a mechanical bull? I said, yeah, why not? <laughs> so Karen came up from, from Coonabarra at the time, Prima, we're living. So she drove to uh, Sydney, took me to the Channel 7 studio in the car park, I ripped off my neck brace because oh. <laughs> I thought if they knew that, what, what just happened? They wouldn't have let you on. <laughs> no, that's right. So, yeah, off we went and uh, I had three attempts on the first day and I failed miserably that day. It was just like a practice run and I'm sure they're scratching their head. The producer's going, what have we done here? It's going to be a failure. The next day, it was recording day and I smashed it and just the... Uh, how long? How long did you go for? So it was two minutes and four seconds. Oh my God. So it was just They're that. pretty intense as well. Like yeah. I have broken a rib on a mechanical ball. So. We've all been on a mechanical ball and I cannot laugh. So neither can I. Two minutes is a long time. <laughs> so do you still hold the record? Yeah, well, as, yeah, as such. I reckon Luz could give you a pretty good run for your money. Yeah, where's the ball? 
Do you have one in this shed, Dodge? No, or you no, don't? Sorry. No. <laughs> he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to let you have a go. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> You'll break it. <laughs> wow. So you still hold the record? Yeah. That's pretty insane. So no one's ever attempted to beat you, or they have, or you not, don't know? Not officially. So you have to, to do it officially. You have to have someone from Guinness World Records doing the timekeeping and such. I'm sure someone, someone, some back pub will beat me. Says there somewhere. <laughs> So you know when you get the Guinness World Record books that we used to all have as children? You're written up in that. Yeah. I love that. So, Judge, in 2014, your life changed pretty dramatically because of an accident. Yep. Can you tell us about that day? Um, was any, every other normal day where it works on your mind constantly. Um, I've been at work all day. We've been doing big days too. Some days was 36 hours long. No sleep, or we'd try and get a bit of sleep. My wife and I, she'd take over for a bit. But um, so, what were you doing then? So that was at the sale yards. Right. We had uh, nine, ten thousand cattle turning up nearly every Huge. week. Um, so we just had to get those cattle processed for the so they get to the abattoirs in time, or whoever bought them back to the paddocks. So it was pretty full on for that for that twelve months. It was pretty tiring, but I was driving home from work. Um, lost a bit of concentration. Met a car or I met a truck on the corner. Had to leave the road to avoid the crash, and I lost uh, lost control of the car. Uh, I remember trying to steer the car straight, but obviously in midair, got no steering. <laughs> Collided with the tree. Car caught a light, and I was trapped in the car. People say I was unlucky, but I said I was very lucky. For a few things that went on that day was um, the fellow that. Saved me from the crash, pulled me alive. He's a, he's a big man, big strong man, and if it wasn't for him, no one else would have got me out. And he wasn't meant to be home, he should have been at work. But because a part never rocked up that day, he was meant to fix the machine he's working on. Bit of divine intervention. Yeah, he said, I'll go home and come back early in the morning and finish it. So he was at home, finished work early. Um, another story about it was 12 months. To the day, like before that, the crash, his wife said we should buy some fire extinguishers to put in our car. He said, "Oh yeah, whatever." So this went on for almost twelve months, mm. and she kept nagging him, "Let's get the fire extinguishers." He said, "Yeah, I'll get it one day." He finally, he's rocked up with three of them, up with two, and put them on the front veranda, and he because uh, they had three cars between them. A, a, one is his hunting vehicle, and then both the work vehicles. So she put one in his hunting vehicle on this day, and the other one was in the front veranda. So when he's got home from work early, sitting on the veranda, on on the lounge, she's out in the garden. She heard a, a bang. She, she walked inside and she said, "Oh, I think there's a crash out there." He said, "No, don't be stupid. We've got cows in the yard. Just we're weaning them. They've probably kicked the gate or something." So she's turned to walk out. Opened the door and saw the smoke. She went, oh, no, I think you better come and look at this. So when they were going to get the car, out of three vehicles, they jumped in the hunting vehicle, which is the one that she put the fire extinguisher in, oh. of all vehicles to grab, and happened to be one with a knife in it. So he cut the seat belt and had the, the fire extinguisher as well. Do you remember this? Like, Oh, yeah, I do. You do? There was times I was drifting in and out of consciousness. But um, I remember him first rocking up 
and I've only met this fellow a couple of times, but I distinctly remembered his voice. Um, I said, is that you, Brock? He said, yeah. He said, Dodge? I said, yeah, mate. And it went on from there. So, um, yeah, um, I do remember saying that once, because we struggled for a while. There's no way I was going to get out. Um, I said, mate, you better leave me because this car's going to blow up and you'll die with me. He said, no, I'm going down with you. Mm. And that was, that meant everything to me. And he cut you out of the car? And pulled you out? Pulled me out, yeah. That is just insane. His wife was there. She was a couple of days off having a baby, running around helping. So obviously she would have done just as much as him. And are you still in contact with him? Oh, yeah, for sure. He lives up the road. Right. Yeah. And with the burns that happened, do you do you remember um, being in that moment, being on fire? Um, I don't remember being on fire, but I remember um, the the fire was about a foot high, so 30, 30 centimeters high in the center console of the, of, the, of the Ute I was driving. I remember saying, if I don't put my hand in the fire, get the seatbelt off, I'm going to die. So it's that, that instant instinct where it's um, it's going to hurt, but it's going to hurt no more than what, what's, going, what's going to happen to you. So when I, when I put my hand in that fire, I honestly couldn't feel a thing. Yeah. Yes, the adrenaline and the, and the shock of it. And... So what happened after, obviously, the ambulance came and, and where were you taken? And where was your wife as well? So my wife was at home, um, had tea on the table, fed the kids. Funny how things happen is um, a good friend of ours lived, lived in at, um, uh, what's the town in just in here? Mindoran. No, starts with oh. B. Brocklehurst. Brocklehurst, oh, Brocklehurst yeah. yeah. So she lives there and she's a nurse and she heard an ambulance and a police car go past. So she rang my wife up. She said, oh, he's all right there. Is everything all right? And Karen said, yeah, why? She said, oh, an ambulance just went past. I've got a bad feeling. And... You always hear those stories, but that's it. That's dead set what happened. So Karen got in the car, went for a drive, and then come across the smoke and the, the scene of the crash. But I had a, uh, a dog box on the back of my ute for my work dogs, which I'd made myself. So it was pretty... Distinctive. Distinctive. Um, and she saw that in the silhouette of the, of the, of the flames. She so knew straight away it was me. As she walked up, she's collapsed on the road. And the police standing there, because two police standing there watching the car burn. They said, you can't sit there, mate. She said, oh, but it doesn't matter, my life's over. That's my husband, you, and you're standing there watching him burn. She thought, I was sitting in there. there. Obviously, I was was gone by then, taken to hospital. Um, So I went to hospital. Another story was my wedding ring on my finger. I lost three wedding rings over the course of our marriage uh, at work. And on our 13th wedding anniversary, we took the kids to the Gold Coast for a holiday. And I said, oh, I'm going to go and buy a new wedding ring. She said, no, she said, next, the next wedding <laughs> ring you buy be, be mine. You've lost too many. I said, no, I promise I won't lose it. Aww. She said, well, if you lose it, this one, that's it, it's all over. So <laughs> off I go down the tattoo shop, get it on my, on my finger. And when I was I'll in keep the, this one on. <laughs> <laughs> won't lose this. But when I was in the car, burning, I honestly put my thumb over my finger like that and I thought I can't lose this <laughs> she, she'll kill me I'll, I'll be done <laughs> and as I passed out 
like went un- unconscious and woke back up, went like that and that, and I was getting my hand putting it under my, under, under my other arm. Mm. I was thinking, this is my hands in my life, you know, because everything I've done all my life is with my hands, fencing and cutting timber. So when Karen's got to the hospital in a Dubbo emergency to see me, the first thing she's done is walked around the room, looked at my finger. She said all my hand was black, bar that one finger. Wow. It's intact, nothing wrong with it. That was a sign for me. She was sticking with you? Yeah, but they still cut it off. <laughs> so, I had to go and get so you got it tattooed on the, yeah. on the opposite hand? That's it, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter what finger. Still there. That's and amazing. So, after um, Yulin Dubbo, you got transferred to Sydney or? Yeah, so they um, said to Karen, we're going to fly him to Sydney. You need to get in the helicopter because. We think you know you want to be there. Otherwise, if he doesn't make it, you're going to regret it because my lungs were that bad from the smoke. smoking intoxication, the plastic burning of the the, the, the the dash of the car. Flew me down by fixed wing to um, I suppose Mascot Airport, where they transfer me into a helicopter, and then land on the top of um, the, hosp- the hospital, um, Royal North Shore, and then that first. They pushed me into the ER room. At first time the doctors come in, there was 27 doctors. 27? That just, that blows my mind. To think 27 doctors there going, what are we gonna do? By then I wasn't a person as such, I was a black thing. I was that burnt, charred. So it's credit to what they've done. Yeah, can you tell us how long you were in hospital for? And I guess, Tell us a bit about like your rehab injuries and, and rehab. Uh, so I was in the hospital, in, in, I was in the ER or the intensive care for, I think it was uh, in a coma for seven weeks, then another week coming out of the coma. And then they moved me to the burns unit, which I was there for probably another 10, 12 weeks. And then went to uh, rehab for two weeks. Um, it would have been about June, Getting towards the end of June, one of the doctors come into my room. He said, I said, mate, how long do I have to stay here for? Like I said, I hate hospitals. He said, oh, he said, you'll probably be here until the end of the year. Um, we might let you go for a week or two over Christmas, but you'll have to come back. I looked at him, I said, no, mate. I said, uh, it's my son's birthday on the 12th of September. I guarantee I'll be home for his birthday. As he's walked out, he looked at my wife, he said, um, he needs to come up with some more realistic goals because there's no way he's going to do that. Mm. Evidently, I walked out 1st of September. Wow. I was in um, rehab for two weeks and I wasn't meant to be there for two weeks. I was meant to be there for probably 12 months. But that first week was too slow. I wanted to be in the in the gym, getting my strength going, getting my balance. Um, but their whole idea was you have the first week to settle in get used to how it all works. So I used to wheel myself down to the, the gym every day at nine o'clock and wait for them and wait till they open the doors up and they'd shake their head, no, not today, Jamie. So after three times of, of being uh, knocked back, I said, uh, said to the, the head nurse, I said, or the matron, when the doctors come, tell them to come and see me. So the doctor came in one day and I said, mate, I've had enough, I said, I need to be in there getting better. I don't want to get back to living, getting back to work. Oh, you'll never work again. Yeah, good. That's good. 
So I got to the stage where on the a week and a half in rehab, I said, um, listen, I've still done nothing in that gym, done about 15 minutes, that's all. If it doesn't happen by the end of the week, I'm out and check myself out. Oh, you can't do that. I said, yeah, I can. I've done it before with a broken neck. Hmm. So after two and a half weeks, um, I rang Karen up one day. I said, mate, you better come pick me up. We're going home. And she had enough in place. She had some... Um, uh, some physios back in Dubbo lined up, so I had somewhere to come there, and I had we had some experts, also specialists, leg and hand uh, specialists in Sydney lined up. So it wasn't just a case of walking out on my own. We had other places to go. Can you tell us a little about your injuries that you suffered, just yes. to give people an extent of what your rehab would have been like? So I um, lost a leg from uh, above me, so halfway through my thigh. My left leg, it was mainly because of the burns. It was, it was smashed around too, but it was burned that bad. It was burned right down to the knee joint. Um, I lost my all my fingers on my, my left hand, or digits, digits they call them. I broke my left hip, fractured my right hip, or di- I dis- dislocated my right hip. And I actually think that happened from when the fellow was pulling me out of the car, trying that hard to pull me out. Um, broke nearly all my ribs. I broke my back in two spots, um, fractured my skull, bleeding to the brain, internal injuries. They didn't know whether I actually broke my spine or not because I was, I was that bad they couldn't move me. So it took, you know, it took about three weeks before they realised that it wasn't too bad that way. You said you always use your hands and that's something that's so important to you with your work. Without one hand, how did you learn, I guess, to to cope and, and take on everything with just the one hand? We, we used to have regular trips to um, Sydney. Um, had a hand specialist down there and she'd show me other ways of doing things. I had a hook. I've got a hook made up. And it's um, also like a, a pair of tweezers, I guess you'd call it. Mm. So I can, with my other shoulder, I can roll my other shoulder and it opens up this hook to grab things. But as time's going on, it's not, not something I use very often. Um, I've just managed to learn better ways with one hand. Use your teeth and hold something <laughs> you've got to there's, there's ways around it. Yeah. Um, and if you want to do something bad enough, or you'll find a way. And Dodge, how do you move forward after something like that? Like that's so traumatic to your body. And Yeah, um, just that want. My biggest want was to get back. I guess forget it ever happened. At the time, just get back to the way I was, back to working. Um, not back riding bulls. <laughs> I <laughs> thought about one. it, but no, I was, I, was, I was beyond it anyway. You then went on to do a ride for 580 kilometres on horseback through western New South Wales, um, raising money and awareness for Limbs for Life charity. Can you tell us about this, this ride? Or even just getting back on a horse to start with. Yeah. When I was in the hospital, um, one of the doctors said, oh, you'll never ride a horse again because of the, the extent of the scarring on my body. You know, fall off and you rip your skin. takes a lot of healing when it's been burnt. Um, and the, the break, breaking the hip and disclaiming the other, broken back, too uncomfortable. So to me that was, um, you don't tell me I can't do that. That's what I want to do. As time went on, once I got home, I'd been home for probably about eight months. 
And I said to Karen, I'm going to get on a horse. I want to ride that horse again. Well, she knew that all along anyway, but but I made a goal that I wasn't going to do that until the 12th month, like to that day. So the 27th of March, 2015. So that morning I woke up. I said to Karen, quick, run that horse in. And she saddled it up and I just rode around the, around the place here a little bit. Didn't go too far, but just that enjoyment of getting back on a horse. It was... Freedom. A, yeah, and, and achievement. But um, as time went on, being in and out of Sydney so much, I've missed a lot of the, a lot of, a lot of the kids' time. We felt we need to go on a holiday, just have that bonding time together as a family again. So what do you do? You don't go to Sydney. We've been there for the last 12, 18 months full on. We didn't want to go somewhere where there's a heap of people, um, like a beach. You know, we just want to go out somewhere that was just us. And then Karen said, how about we load the horses up? Just go out the back somewhere and go for a ride. And at the same time, uh, Channel 9 rang up. One of the doctors that was doing operations, they'd been talking to the, the, the fellow from Channel 9, and they'd come up with this show they wanted to do this time next year. Um, do you know anyone that might want to go in it? And oh, this fellow's talking about doing a ride, or going out the back riding horses. So from that we put it together, and then we decided to, do it, we're going to do it, we're going to do it for charity. So we don't for amputees. So all the money raised went to them. It was pretty tough, the ride. But the achievement and just that time with the kids, there's no TV. I think they watched TV for two days. Probably not even that. Probably uh, six hours over the whole 20 to 22 days. Uh, no internet. So there's no computers or... Just proper family time proper old school yeah yeah so you rode from Tilpa to where Tilpa back to Dubbo Tilpa to Dubbo so it was 2015 it was fairly wet year 15-16 we were going to go from Tilpa um, through Louth across to Burke and then down but because of all the water that was around we had to divert so we ended up going uh, across the Ivanhoe Highway then come back into Burke which was, it put a bit more of a spin on it too, getting bogged a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> didn't even get out of the truck. Like, didn't even get there. And we are bogged on the way out there. Well, you must have some pretty special horses. Depends who you ask in the family. Karen's got the special <laughs> horse of everybody. <laughs> um, the horse, he's the, one of the horses I started riding when, I, when we're getting ready for the ride. He threw me off twice. Oh, stop. So, to me, he's not very not no, very special. No, he's not special. <laughs> but, uh, no, they're, they're very quiet, and they've got to be to put up with me swinging off them. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that was a big part of your recovery as well, like moving forward, doing something like that? Yeah, it was just getting back to the bush. Yeah. Um, I, I hate being in town. I'm the sort of fellow that I can just walk out there and find something to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and tell us about life now, life after um, your your accident. It's given me a different perspective on life, um, the little things in life that we don't appreciate. It makes you realise what you've got, what you've achieved over the years, and you stand back and learn to appreciate it. Whereas when you don't look and appreciate them, they don't mean a lot to you. You don't get that satisfaction. You don't get that drive. Uh, life now is work. People hate work, but I, I, I love work. 
and always did. And I won't say that I loved it all along. Probably you know, the last couple of years before my accident was starting to get a bit draining, all the work. But when the work's taken away from me, when I was in the when I was recovering from the accident, there was no work. I couldn't work at the time. Um, I missed it that much. So now I, I've, got, I've got three jobs, work for myself, but three three jobs in that working for myself keeps me pretty busy. And you work at the sale yards. What do you do at the sale yards? So uh, once the, the cattle are sold, obviously don't they go and get weighed and delivered into certain pens as to who bought those cattle. So my, part of my job is to deal with the, the agents and the buyers to make sure that their right cattle go into the right pens. There's another fellow that runs the scales, the weighing system, and then delivering to the pens. So I, between him and I, we liaise a little bit so I can tell him what, how many cattle are coming towards him so he can get to get have the pens ready. And then of the afternoon, I uh, help, some, help a, a trucking company Make sure they get the right cattle to go on the trucks and help them load the trucks. So, Dodge, I really want to know about Karen because she sounds like a pretty incredible woman. Yeah, she's pretty well driven to, you know, well, we've both been big on goals, goal setting and what we want to achieve. And as to that comes the hard work. It's what it takes to get there. Um, she's always been a good mother to the kids, very fair. And it's not, probably not a day went by she didn't work. Um, so she's now working in for in with Western Area Health or New South Wales Health. Quite ironic, the role she's got is um, dealing with the, the farms getting through the drought and hard times. And after what she's been through, um, showing a bit of resilience. Yeah, she she hopes she should do a good job. But she enjoys it. Pretty special. It's very just, special. Yeah, you're both very inspirational. Do you think? With the accident, if it hadn't have happened, you'd be where you were now? No, I don't think so. I'd, um, it's made me appreciate where I've come from and give me more of a drive. Uh, well, let's face it, I've only got half a body, so I've got to put twice as much effort into to do to what somebody else does. Um, yeah, I get a lot of drive out of that. But, you know, I, I do a, a fair bit of motivational speaking too traveling the country there's no way that would have been about without the accident and I enjoy that um, helping other people overcome adversity mm. well thank you very much for speaking with us and um, yeah you truly are inspiring you're an extraordinary person <laughs> <Seriously>. <laughs> this is why we interviewed you <laughs> you are extraordinary you are extraordinary <laughs> <laughs> it's not embarrassing sorry Dodge very embarrassing now. You go. <laughs> no, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much. Sitting next to Jamie, his drive and determination really is palpable. You can actually feel it. And yeah. I walked away questioning my own attitude towards life and what I take for granted on a daily basis. Yeah, it's actually interesting to see how he thinks and how he's trained his mind and everything that kind of came out was positive, even though he's been through so much. I know I shouldn't be surprised, but it, you know, made me realise that I should have a different outlook on life and that the minuscule things that I, you know, boil over actually really don't matter. It's insane. So thank you, Jamie, for sitting down and giving us a new perspective on life, as well as showing us around your home. 
introducing us to the nine baby wildfires <laughs> and for nearly throwing Lucy off the mechanical bull. I really suck at bull riding. <laughs> Maybe one day you will hold the title of <laughs> longest time on a mechanical bull. You'll knock Jamie off his perch. Sorry, Jamie. You're gone. But in all seriousness, if you do want to see Lucy on the mechanical bull, head to our Instagram page and have a look because I honestly, you'll, you'll laugh for days. But thank you, Jamie. We will be back because we do want updates on the baby wildfires. So thank you. Yeah, and I'm going to get you back too. Yeah, whatever. This episode was produced by Rihanna Mooney. Music by Nate Skulls. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you're feeling generous and follow our journey on all of our social media pages.